they are allowed to move in. But as WSC's Kendall Smith reports, the issue is a bit more complicated than it seems. Earlier this week, the University of South Carolina provided updates regarding on-campus housing protocols for move-in this August. As of July 15th, students are now able to register online for dates and time slots to move in. While the University Housing website says that students are required to be tested for COVID-19 within 10 days of their scheduled move-in date, the ruling on testing is still unclear after President Kaslin said in a town hall meeting earlier this month that he couldn't require student testing due to First Amendment rights. The official move-in dates at the University of South Carolina are August 16th through August 18th. Kendall Smith, WUSC News. The Washington NFL team expected to soon change the name of their mascot is now facing even more backlash after 15 female former employees detailed instances of sexual harassment from the team's executives. The franchise, which is currently reviewing the controversial Redskins mascot, is facing share sell-offs and criticism from minority owners. WSC's Forrest Tucker has more. Emily Applegate is one of 15 women who are accusing former employees from Washington's football team of sexual harassment and verbal abuse. The alleged events occurred at the team's headquarters, stadium, and training camp from 2006 to last year. The incidents include unwelcome sexual comments and insisting that female employees wear revealing clothing and flirt with sales clients. Three recently departed staff members are some of those accused of improper behavior. Director of Pro Personnel Alex Santos and Assistant Director of Pro Personnel Richard Mann II were fired on Saturday. On Wednesday, team radio broadcaster Larry Michael retired. Applegate and others also blame owner Dan Snyder for having an understaffed human resources department. D.C. Attorney Beth Wilkinson was hired by the team on Thursday to independently review the matter. The NFL has called the news serious and disturbing. Forrest Tucker, WUSC News, Washington. While the U.S. is still grappling with the coronavirus pandemic, many countries in the EU are now looking toward economic recovery. But there's some disagreement in what exactly that recovery will look like. Harder-hit nations are seeking a more immediate relief plan, while others value other options. WSC's Abigail Brandon reports. As the world is preparing to economically recover from the financial impacts of the coronavirus, the biggest questions in the EU are how to distribute recovery funds and how quickly. Countries such as Austria and the Netherlands are pressing for funds to be distributed as loans rather than grants and would like to have a say in how the money is being used. Countries such as Spain and Italy, which stand to receive the most money as they are among the most impacted, are looking for a speedier distribution. Southern and Eastern countries have raised concerns about the possibility of control of funding being used to manipulate political values. That was Abigail Brandon reporting. The Dow Jones Industrial Average is currently down 53 points. The Nasdaq is up 30 points, and the S&P 500 is also up 10 points. It's currently 93 degrees outside, mostly sunny with a low of 75 tonight. The high for tomorrow is 92 degrees with a low of 75. I'm Ward Jollis, and you're listening to WUSC News. It's 3.06. We all know a good party gets the heart pumping. A chance to see your friends again, have a good time. But what happens when your good time puts someone else at risk? Healthcare workers risk their own lives to save ours. Since April 9th, more than 9,000 have tested positive for COVID-19 across America. The choice is yours, Gamecocks. Will it be another Monday night out or a movie night in? Stay in and help stop the worst from happening. 
Hashtag I pledge Columbia. Glad to be back in Columbia, seeing friends, heading back to class. Unlike other colleges and universities, we get to come back. But keeping it that way means keeping your distance. The CDC says staying six feet apart is the easiest way to slow the spread of COVID-19. So stay back, stay healthy, and lead the way. Because nobody wants to go back to Zoom you. You're listening to Headline from WUSC News. I'm Morjalis. As coronavirus cases continue to spike across the country, South Carolina has emerged as a major coronavirus hotspot. The state over the past week has broken record after record of new confirmed cases, and DEC officials are saying that the sudden spike has a lot to do with young people who often go out without wearing masks or social distancing. Here with me to talk about why the coronavirus is spreading so rapidly here in South Carolina and what needs to be done to stop its spread is Dr. Melissa Nolan. She's a public health expert and epidemiologist who's done extensive research on infectious diseases and health disparities. And Dr. Nolan joins me now. Dr. Nolan, thanks so much for joining me today. And to start things off, tell me why coronavirus is spreading so much more rapidly than, you know, the seasonal flu or some other pathogen. Yeah. Coronaviruses are, um, there's actually eight different coronaviruses that are known to be transmitted in people. Most of them, though, um, are associated with the common cold and are not as pathogenic as what we're seeing with the current strain that's circulating. And the reason they're so contagious is that they spread through respiratory droplets. And something that's a little bit different about coronaviruses versus influenza is the role in which asymptomatics play in transmission. So typically, if you have no symptoms, but you're infected, you would shed virus at a very small amount or for a very short period of time. But with coronaviruses, we're not seeing that. Uh, It's actually quite the opposite. So asymptomatics play just as important of a role as someone that's symptomatic, which makes it very hard then to identify infected people stop transmission. Uh, Okay, so so you say the asymptomatic spread is a big thing. There's been a lot of speculation recently about the the effectiveness of wearing masks if you are not displaying any symptoms, Uh, also about social distancing, uh, so much so that it's become, uh, you know, a real political issue in the past few weeks. Uh, What do you have to say about people who think that, that, you know, wearing masks and social distancing isn't necessary. Yeah, I would say our best strategies at preventing transmission in the community, so stopping large amounts of transmission, is using multiple different strategies. And there are several that we know that are effective. So even if you can't do one, try and doing as many as you can. Some of those are wearing cloth face coverings. So those are actually going to prevent, if you happen to be asymptomatically infected, so you don't even know that you have this virus and you're transmitting it, If you wear a face cloth, it's going to protect other people in the community. So think of this as kind of a modern day, you know, jury duty, if you will. So wearing a face cloth is protecting other people, doing your civic responsibility. The six foot distancing, very similar concept with that. We know that the further apart you are from other people and the more that you can just limit any unnecessary contact with people, the lower your chances are of getting infected. 
Yeah, yeah. So so South Carolina in the past few weeks has become a huge COVID-19 hotspot in the past few weeks. Uh, so much so that the New York Times actually published a study recently saying, I about it. Yeah. Yeah, recently saying that the, the Palmetto State has the third highest rate of increase of COVID-19 in the world. Uh, what do you think is driving this spread right now and how, you know, how else can we stop it? Yeah, I think unfortunately people are not adhering to public health guidelines. I certainly respect that people, you know, have the right to make their own personal decisions. But at this point, you know, we really are in, we're at the point where we need the community to come together and we need to start thinking about how we can protect each other. And it's really important that people in South Carolina abide by the public health guidelines so we can stop further transmission because we are rapidly growing in our cases every day. Yeah. So do you think that a mandatory mask wearing ordinance would be necessary? I mean, how do you, in your opinion, how are South Carolina's elected officials uh, handling this outbreak right now? Yeah, it's a great question. One that I know a lot of people are talking about. I am an infectious disease specialist, not a political science specialist. But what I can tell you is that in the event that a statewide ordinance was passed, I would anticipate that would impact and would reduce transmission in the community. Yeah. Yeah. So, so a lot of studies have found that we're going to switch gears a little bit to something that, you know, maybe your background in public health might be able to, to help us understand. A lot of studies saying that coronavirus is affecting and even killing people of color at an alarmingly high rate, sometimes nearly even twice the rate of white people in certain studies. Based on your area of expertise, what could be causing this trend? Yeah, unfortunately, there are health disparities that impact the outcomes of infection among people that are living in marginalized communities. And some of those could be, there are some just genetical, or not genetics, or there's some biological aspects that African-Americans might be more likely at risk. So in general, people of color tend to be more likely to have immunocompromising conditions such as hypertension, diabetes. They might also have sickle cell anemia, which is a risk factor for exacerbated respiratory infections. Uh, we also know that people of color can have um, a harder time accessing healthcare, and so for those that do become severely ill that aren't able to get to the clinician or get to the hospital, uh, it can just further exacerbate their illness in that regard. Yeah, yeah. So, so I talked briefly to Dr. Beck, uh, Dr. Deborah Beck from the University yes, Health Center. Yes, my dear friend. Yeah, and she's and one thing that she said that's really stuck with me over the past few days. Um, she said that of the hundreds of cases of students and young people that she knows of that have tested positive, uh, almost all of them have either been asymptomatic and didn't even realize they had it or have had very mild symptoms. And, and this message is being interpreted by many young people um, as there's nothing to worry about uh, if they get the disease. From the public health perspective, what do you have to say to these young people who don't feel threatened at all by the virus? Yeah, well, the first thing I would say is that you never know until you're individually infected what your risk factor is. So you might have the opinion that you're in good health, but you could, for whatever reason, might be one of the people that will go on to develop severe disease. So you can never take your health status for granted. I would also say that you have to consider all the potential spillover in your own life and then into the community. So let's say, you know, you go to see your grandmother or, you know, a, a worker that you could get infected that has someone at home that's at high risk for developing severe disease. So it's really important not just to think about 
your own health, but also the health of others and the loved ones around you. Yeah. So if you had one message that you wanted listeners to know uh, before I let you go uh, about the current health situation that we're in, what what would you want people to know? I mean, I guess a good public health message, right, is to please wear face cloths, wash your hands on a regular basis, and adhere to public health guidelines. All right. Well, thank you so much for uh, talking to me today, Dr. Nolan. Thanks. Bye. That was Dr. Melissa Nolan, USC public health expert and epidemiologist. We'll be right back. Stay home. Are you crazy? Stay home. Do your part and stay home. Staying home doesn't always save lives. Did you know South Carolina ranks fifth in the nation for women killed by men they know? With stay-at-home orders in effect, you may feel trapped, isolated, or less safe than ever before. We know domestic violence doesn't stop, even in the midst of a pandemic. Learn how to get help for you or someone you love at sistercare.org. Come on, buddy. Hey, neighbor, it's been a while. Oh, hi, Jenny. How are you guys doing? You know, staying home, staying safe. Staying apart can be hard, but we can still reach out. Columbia has many unmet needs, and Mutual Aid Midlands is stepping in. From delivering groceries to internet access to books for kids, there are people like us pooling resources and finding solutions. If you want to help your neighbors and donate your time or special skill, join them. Find Mutual Aid Midlands on Facebook or call their hotline. You're listening to Headline from WUSE News. I'm Morjalis. If you've been keeping up with national politics lately, you've probably heard about the ongoing debate over whether Washington, D.C., the nation's capital, should be admitted into the union as the 51st state. The U.S. House of Representatives recently passed a bill that would make that very thing happen, citing the issue of taxation without representation. For the more than 700,000 people living in the District of Columbia, they only have one representative in Congress, a non-voting member in the House. But the issue is a bit more complicated than it may seem. Joining me today to talk through this debate is USC political science professor Todd Shaw. Professor Shaw, first of all, thanks so much for joining me today. And um, to get things started, you know, for a long time, people have debated over whether or not D.C. should have should have acquired statehood by now. Um, It's been around for quite a while. Um, But just to clarify for our listeners, uh, D.C. citizens do have some representation, but not a lot in comparison to most other U.S. citizens. Uh, Tell me a bit about what what is it like to be a citizen in the District of Columbia right now? You know, what kind of representation and voting rights do they have? Well, so in terms of representation, and I broaden that to say um, local or self-government, the District of Columbia has had uh, home rule since effectively the early 1970s when when it elected its first mayor. Um, And by that, so by that I mean that there's a mayor of the city of, of, of the District of Columbia, there's a city council, Um, And they regulate the affairs of the District of Columbia that does not entail the federal jurisdictions and federal properties. 
Um, in terms of representation in Congress, uh, that for um, now a couple of decades, the uh, Eleanor Holmes, Holmes Norton has served as the voting delegate from to the district uh, for the District of Columbia. She does not have voting rights on the floor of the House of Representatives, but she can serve and does serve on committees. Um, often, when she's a, a member of the she's a member of the Democratic um, Caucus, and so she she participates on House committees. She does participate in floor debate. She just, just simply does not have a vote. There is no uh, representation of the District of Columbia at all by virtue of voice or vote in the Senate. Uh, so that's sort of where things stand. If you are a citizen of the District of Columbia, yeah. you have a voice in Congress, but not a vote in Congress. Okay. Okay. So for the people, so for the people who are pro making DC a state, I can see where some of these arguments are coming from. That you know there are over seven hundred thousand people living in DC. I mean that's more than uh, two other U.S. states. Um, mm -hmm. But you know, what are some of the what are more of some of these arguments besides you know the no representation that for doing this for making DC a state? Well, um, I think representation is a pretty big one. I mean th that that's that goes back to our uh, our founding uh, debates for this country about a taxation without representation, uh, and that's uh, the member uh, citizens within the District of Columbia for again a couple of decades have driven around with bumper stickers and other signs that have echoed that, that famous refrain, you know, that, that stems back to, the, to the, our revolutionary founding as a, as a country. Uh, so that's key. And, and what representation means is that um, it means one person, one vote. Uh, now, I will say that the members, district, the citizens of the District of Columbia do um, do have representation in other aspects, such as the the the, uh, the democratic primary process for selecting president of the United States, things of that nature. But when it comes to direct representation, I mean, all the things that Congress does um, that are, that are pivotal to people's lives, uh, in in terms of uh, you know the, the the whole questions that we're dealing now with public health, and so so just a range of other things. Congress is at the center of that work. And to not have representation in Congress is effectively not to have representation in, in the most pivotal legislative body um, in, the, in the nation, uh, and sometimes, some, sometimes argue in the world. So that's a pretty big thing. Um, and we can all think about, well, if you had to send taxes, if you had to, uh, to uh, ensure you pay the same amount of taxes or a relative amount of taxes, uh, but you only had so much of a voice uh, that that would sting for anybody. <laughs> yeah. So, so for the people who are against it, what is their argument here? I mean, I, I, I don't see I don't see the point of having so many people without representation in Congress. I mean, what is the other side of this argument? Well, the other side of the argument is the District of Columbia has always had a special place. Um, you know, I know uh, in, in American history. I know uh, a number of Americans around the 4th of July saw the, 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 the Disney broadcast of the, of the musical Hamilton. Uh, and the, you know, one of the famous songs in that, in that uh, musical is the room where it happened. So the, the deal that was struck to create the District of Columbia in effect um, it is one that has held for centuries now. And so that the district occupies this special place as a compromise um, that it, it, it is the sort of federal district. It's, it's often has been called the federal city in American 
uh, in American history. Uh, so our proponents would say it should maintain its important and special uh, uh, place in that regard. It's, it's also the uh, fact that some of it is, might also be a slightly partisan argument that the district is likely to be a Democratic uh, run state. So it would have there would be one more uh, member of the House of Representatives and two more senators who would identify with the Democratic Party. Uh, so that's not pleasing to the, to the Republican opponents of, of such a measure. Um, those are some of the arguments being made about its special place um, and that it, it could offset the, the, the partisan balance in Congress if you bring just one clearly uh, Democratic state into the union. Okay, yeah. So, so I see, the, I see the, um, the reason this is so, you know, split down party lines here. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, from a professional standpoint, I mean, what's your take on this? Is it really more important to have citizens go without representation solely for maintaining political balance? No, I don't think it is. My, my, my own personal view is that um, really democracy uh, ought to always expand, that we, all, we always at each successive turn and at each generation promote more democracy, not less or stay in exactly the same place. As the nation grows and as the demands of, of American citizens grow, we sh our democracy, our republic should grow with it. And so the District of Columbia, there's been long been a debate about Puerto Rico. Um, you know, again, in what ways should these individuals who in all intents and purposes are American citizens have the same rights as all other American citizens to elect a governor, to elect a state legislature, to have representation in Congress, um, again, the, di the district will be a special state in some regards because it, it, it doesn't occupy a lot of land, but it does have a fairly populous uh, population relative to the to, to that it wouldn't be the smallest state in the union. So, so I, I think it, it is high time that that DC receives statehood. Yeah. So, so I know you mentioned Puerto Rico a little bit, and I want to move on to that now. I mean, it, it has even less say in American politics than DC does right now. Uh, mm -hmm. And there are three million people who right. live in Puerto Rico. What's the difference here? Why is nobody talking about making Puerto Rico a state right now? Well, Puerto Rico is um, has since the turn of the 20th century, um, and this is this is sort of true of the the broader history of sort of an American territorial expansion. Some some would use the word imperialism. That, that Puerto Rico uh, became effectively this territory or colony in the United States um, and, and has maintained this status for quite a while. But it's not simply because of debates within Congress. There's also debates on the island of Puerto Rico itself, that, that Puerto Ricans um, are, have, have gone back and forth um, in their own political debates about whether we want to be an independent nation whether we want to uh, become a state of the United States or we want to maintain our special commonwealth status, which is what they have now. They're, they're a commonwealth um, that they, they elect a governor, a state legislature, et cetera, uh, and they enjoy some of those uh, benefits of connection to the United States by, by virtue of, um, of sort of tax dollars and, and grants and dollars that go to the island. Uh, but Puerto Ricans themselves have there, there been successive plebiscites on this question, and they've also they've often sort of divided, uh, been quite divided, or they split a little bit more toward uh, the status quo. So it's an internal debate in Puerto Rico, um, and it's probably not given the recent things that have happened that have 
that has absolutely battered the island and, 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 and uh, you know, from the, the hurricanes and now with this COVID-19, I'm sure there's an ongoing set of debates uh, on the island about, um, A, do we, can we become a uh, independent nation? Uh, should we maintain this status? But yes, but now the current administration is not treating us too well <laughs> at all. And so they, they are probably, they have a unique, a debate that's unique from the district where there is a pretty solid majority of, of citizens of the district uh, who side with the notion of statehood. Uh, Puerto Ricans are more divided on that question. Okay, okay. So, so you know, this statehood debate has been around for years now. Uh, you know, it, it involves Puerto Rico, but specifically now with D.C. Uh, why is the House taking action now? Um, I don't, I don't get it. Why is it now, especially with the Senate, you know, so controlled by the Republicans right now? Why pass this now? Well, um, there is part of a broader pattern uh, that the House, you know, under Pelosi's leadership, of course, is, is solidly Democratic. Um, and there's a whole range of things that they've passed that have not seen the light of day in the Republican-controlled Senate under Mitch McConnell. Uh, and this is just one more thing. I think in some ways, it's Pelosi's strategy to say that if ever the Democrats uh, had some prospect of taking back the Senate, there, there are these ranges of things that we have already passed that we already consider the American people we care about. Uh, and DC statehood is just one of them uh, that, that we would bring before if, if the Democrats held the Senate, excuse me, help continue to hold the House and they gain control of the Senate. This is one more thing that would probably be debated in that democratically controlled Senate. So it's a, it's a political strategy. I don't say that in a bad sense. I say it in an objective sense of saying, uh, we believe in this, so we're going to pass it, even if it has no uh, chance of passing in the Senate. So finally, you know, in your opinion, do you see this issue getting resolved anytime soon? I mean, do you think D.C. will be the next U.S. state within the near future? What do you think? I suspect if there's going to be a 54th state, a 51st state in the uh, next, or we'll say three to four years, it'll likely be D.C. I think D.C. has sort of gotten in line. I made the argument uh, longer than any other territory has, has made such an argument. Um, it would be a democratically controlled uh, Senate, House, and President who would agree to such a measure. Um, it's, you know, it's, conce it's conceivable that maybe a Republican moderate would, but I, I know that, um, that uh, President Trump is, would not agree to, to such a measure. So, yes, um, I, nah, I can't say it will happen soon. Um, and it could even still be held up by, even if the Democrats held both houses of Congress and conceivably even the White House as well, it still, it still could be held up and there still could be political debates um, because even a, a party, when it, when it is the, um, it, it's the single party that's the dominant party, still can have uh, great divides within its own caucus. But if there is to be a state, D.C. is probably the next state of the union. All right. Well, Professor Shaw, thank you for providing me this insight um, on this issue. It was a lot of help. Okay. Thank you. Uh, pleasure to talk with you. Well, that's all for this week's episode of Headline. Make sure to tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. for the week's biggest stories. The music for Headline is called Conversation by Broken Summer. Headline is a production by WSC News and is part of the Garnet Media Group Podcast Network. Garnet Media Group is a partnership between the student-run media outlets at the University of South Carolina. You can find other Garnet Media Group podcasts and student work on garnetmediagroup.org. 
From WSC News in Columbia, I'm Ward Jollis, and this is Headline.